not to get too far into polling. I know this is 538, so, you know, I'm dangerous territory for me to be walking here. But um, WizKid Jeff Foster. there. Welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is June 9th, 2020, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor here at 538. Joining me from his desk in New York City is senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hey, Neil. Hey, Sarah. I don't know if it's a desk. It's a table. Yeah. Yeah, It's like a round table, but I need it to be square for all the things I'm asking of it. So (laughs) I've got like my microphone is like uh, an inch away from like just falling off the table. Total calamity. And my coffee cup too. Oh, yeah. Don't get those mixed up. (laughs) And from the backseat of his car in Los Angeles, 538 contributor Jeff Foster. Hi, Jeff. Good eye to notice that I was in the backseat this week. Sometimes I'm in the front. Sometimes I'm in the shotgun. (laughs) You guys, I am beginning to think there will not be a baseball season. How about you? Uh, Yeah, there won't be a baseball season. (laughs) Uh, I'll be the optimist again. They'll work something out. They have to. Are you just you just saying that because you you need baseball? Need and want baseball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's the main motivating factor for me right now. It'd be nice now, but honestly, looking at what is in theory supposed to be going down in September and October, I mean, there's a traffic jam. It it, it would be hard to, you know, I, I'm not a, as big of a diehard, I think, as you two, but man, there's so much going on. Like when you have like these golf tournaments, the Kentucky Derby is going to be in the fall. You're going to have <laughs> things I care about, Neil. Well, yeah, well, we that... have room for the Kentucky Derby. We need I wish people could have seen my... Season. I wish yeah, people could have seen my reaction the, when you said yeah. golf tournaments yeah. and the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> I mean, the, we I might have the Masters. Well, you pay attention to the Masters. I do pay attention to the Masters. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On today's show, we'll continue talking about how the NFL is confronting systemic racism within the league, as well as how it came to make a 180 from a generic statement to Roger Goodell saying on camera that Black Lives Matter. We'll also take a look at the NBA now that it has settled on its reopening plans and we know which teams will be going to Disney World. And finally, we'll take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. So a lot happened last week in general and in the NFL specifically. We spoke on Tuesday about the somewhat bland statement put out by Commissioner Roger Goodell. By Friday, he had issued an apology video from his home condemning racism, admitting the league had been wrong about protests, and affirming that Black lives matter. Quarterback Drew Brees from the New Orleans Saints also had an intense 72 hours from Wednesday to Friday, beginning with an interview he gave to Yahoo Finance in which he criticized the take-a-knee protests for disrespecting the flag and the national anthem. He was roundly criticized by his teammates and players from around the league, He issued not one, but two apologies, and he directed a message to President Trump on Friday saying that they could no longer use the flag as a way to obscure the true meaning of protests against police police brutality. So we wanted to talk a little bit about how we got here and what's still missing from the league's response, as former NFL safety Louis Riddick pointed out on ESPN's Get Up. You know, their eyes have been open and their ears are open, and everyone is now willing to go ahead and listen finally to what the message really is about and really what the cause is about. And now, you know, as I've said numerous times, it's about moving onward now towards action. Well, that being said, if you want to back that up, the owners haven't really made a statement. They haven't really made a statement individually, and they haven't made a statement collectively about where they stand on this entire process. So they're kind of a little bit, they're not a little bit, they are significantly behind the eight ball because many people have come out and really already go ahead and expressed how they feel about this and what they want to try to necessarily accomplish going forward, but they haven't. We'll get to the owners in a second. That's the one group that really hasn't weighed in here. But let's talk first about Roger Goodell's apology. Jeff, what pushed the league to change its stance? I think, you know, it's interesting because we talked Tuesday and I was kind of um, reluctantly defending that bland, uh, weak uh, statement that Goodell had put out. Um, but obviously, it he... he he dug in a lot deeper and gave a lot more heartfelt, meaningful statement um, that mentioned these things that are often you often see not mentioned. You know, frankly, you, you didn't see Adam Silver mention 
you know, some of these topics, whether it's George Floyd, police brutality, Black Lives Matter, actually saying that. Um, so it, it was a significant turnaround. Um, I really do think a lot of it started with Drew Brees and the reaction, which was widespread to Drew Brees' statement. And I think, you know, we talked last week about this, how the narrative when the when the first round of this happened with Black Lives Matter and, and specifically with Kaepernick was hijacked um, in many ways by right wing forces, particularly the president, um, and that it became a freedom of speech protest against, you know, something that was happening in this country became this false narrative about players being against the flag and players being against the military, which was never what it was about. That was that was their their statement being co-opted to be something it wasn't mm -hmm. unfairly. And and what Breeze said was that he kind of bought in and he kind of resurfaced that old narrative and it got shot down roundly. Um, it got shot down by Michael Thomas and it got shot down by people across the the, the, um, the country. And I think you know, in terms of what happened with the NFL, it seems like it rose very internally. I think there was one producer who who really organized that statement you saw with Saquon Barkley and and uh, Sean Watson and Thomas and um, Pat Mahomes. He put that together, and I think he even said he was expecting to lose his job. And then the league um, went with it; they put it out, and and then Goodell himself put on a statement. And I think it actually, for once, showed real change in their messaging. Um, and I think what we'll see when these games start, if they start, is that you're going to see a lot of players taking a knee and you're not going to really see the NFL doing anything, you know, to get in the way of that. Well, so what do you think about the about Goodell's messaging in the video? Will he be able to back that up? Is it is that attitude, that new attitude sustainable long term? That's the, you know, six million dollar question, right? <laughs> is that, you know, this was almost the easy part. I mean, I'm not saying that anything uh, in the past two weeks has been easy, um, but this is certainly the it's and it's also a step, you know, very much in the right direction and very different from what they've done in the past. But the true test will come, you know, when the season starts. Yeah, I think that's fair. Neil, you wrote a piece last week about the impact of quarterbacks specifically speaking out. And we were focused on, you know, how quarterbacks around the league, many of them had been taking a stance and saying Black Lives Matter. Can you take us through what happened with Breeze exactly and why why that development was important? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we looked at was social media posts by quarterbacks and found that, you know, the vast majority of quarterbacks in the league that were on social media almost unanimously had posted something in solidarity, at least with the protest, with, you know, racial justice, with Black Lives Matter. And one of the quarterbacks that did that on Blackout Tuesday on Instagram was Drew Brees, but it was kind of the most bare minimum thing. You know, he kind of posted the black square and, you know, I, I don't know if he even put anything aside from like a, a tag on the post. And then he did this interview with Yahoo Finance, which is also. Yeah, I didn't really ever understand that. Yeah. <laughs> talking to on Wednesday. So the next day where he said, quote, he'll never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag when he was asked about players kneeling during the national anthem. And really that sort of that spark lit a fire that burned through social media the rest of the day and the rest of the week with, you know, teammates, other athletes, LeBron James was one of them, one of the most forceful replies, but they publicly criticized Breeze uh, for the reason I think we talked about last week, this idea that protesting was, you know, he perpetuated the idea that protesting was about the flag or about the troops or, you know, the country or something like that, and not about drawing people's attention to racism and police brutality. And so Breeze issued an apology uh, the next morning, and they had a lot of emotional Zoom meetings uh, and, and um, apparently, you know, a lot of credit to Sean Payton for you know, kind of bringing leadership to those and, and trying to smooth things over. And by Friday, you know, President Trump had criticized Breeze for apologizing and Breeze wrote back to him and, and uh, saying that he now realized this is not an issue about the flag. It's never been. And we can no longer use the flag to turn people away or distract them from the real issues that face our black communities. Kind of a really amazing moment of public 
learning, yeah. I guess, you yeah. know, for a lot of people, you know, Breeze was almost like a, a stand in for a lot of people in white America, I think, who, you know, needed to hear what Breeze heard and needed to kind of learn the lesson that he learned. So seeing the example of that, you know, play out in real time was something that I don't think we've really seen before, at least not on this, you know, high profile of a stage of someone, you know, saying something at first and then hearing all and having to be made to heard all of the, um, the responses to it and heard why they're wrong and then actually coming around and, and changing their opinion on something. It's pretty rare to find that in America these days. Breeze is, was what he was a popular figure. He was seen as a good guy. People didn't think of him as this asshole. So for him to first make the statement was pretty like the first thing he said was, was pretty devastating. I think to a lot of people for them to, for him to hear for his players his teammates to to call him out for it and say no man that's not okay you you can't you have to understand this better and then for him to go through that process i think it is something that might actually affect people who didn't get it before um and it seems almost impossible that people continue not to get it but that's this is this ongoing cycle of learning for a lot of people it's it's interesting also, I think another factor here is, is just that he plays and has played for a long time for New Orleans, which has a, you know, a very large black community, a black community that was hit very hard by COVID. Um, and at the same time is in Louisiana, which is as deep red of a state as you can you can be. And a lot of uh, a lot of, you know, everyone in the state roots for the Saints and and a lot of those fans are are probably on the, you know, the side or at least were on the side initially where, you know, they were they hated seeing players kneel for the for the um national anthem. So I could see him, you know, wanting to, you know, support that issue sort of foolishly and then it backfiring and 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 frankly i think this will be the way it is perceived from now on but that is not going to take away the legions of legions of fans who have been drawn on this you know a partisan line where they're you know against this the question is what are they going to do about it now not watch football um because i i don't think it's it's going away i don't think you're going to see players not protesting there so no it, in fact yeah for sure we will i mean there's no i mean there there is a question now is drew Brees going to kneel with his with his teammates and that i think will be very interesting to see play out well and also i mean it's not like people can say oh i'm not going to games anymore exactly, yeah. no right, one's going yeah. to games <laughs> yeah yeah and, for sure and in some ways i think that helps the NFL owners in, in, in how they message this and how they come out against this, whether it's publicly or, or, you know, behind closed doors, the fact that they won't have fans there will be um, an influence. And it really will just come down to how the game is perceived on television and, and, and if whether or not people are really going to turn off the game. I mean, they, that, that was always a threat lobbied a lot by a lot of people who were, you know, vehemently against Kaepernick that, if I'm going to stop watching the NFL, I'm going to stop giving them my money. Well, you know, let's see. You're going to really stop watching the NFL now because of this issue? Because you're so upset that someone is protesting Black Lives Matter. And you look at the polling across the country, whether you believe the polling or not, you know, the numbers are quite large. They're they're way bigger than just sheer partisan lines of people. You know, most people, the majority of people think that these protests are justified for good reason. Not to get too far into polling, I know this is 538, so, you know, I'm in dangerous territory for me to be walking here, but... Um... WizKid Jeff Foster. Yeah, I was going to say, if you believe the polling, yes, we believe the polling. Well, I mean, I don't remember... I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't remember who exactly uh, conducted that poll and what grade it got, what letter yeah. grade it got, according to 538. It's good polling, bad polling metrics. Um <laughs> This is a but bad no, use I saw, of polling, I think. Right. No, this is a good use of polling, though. I was about to say the same thing that, you know, we talked about last week that the the protests in the NFL were, you know, fewer than uh, than 40 percent of Americans were on board with them. But at the same time, I think 
also to your point, Jeff, though, those polls have been, I think, a lot higher for the um, Black Lives Matter protests this round, you know, uh, over the past few weeks than they were four or five years ago. Uh, and I think that that probably speaks to, you know, when we do get polling on um players kneeling down, which I haven't seen yet. I mean, maybe they're asking about it uh, and we can kind of revisit it. But I would expect that to have a higher approval rating now than it did uh, three, four years ago, too. Yeah, it does really seem like there's a there's a sea change in in popular opinion here, which will change how how everybody reacts come September. Let's get back to the owners who who have been very quiet. What does it look like for them to support Goodell? I mean, we don't know if they do or how the owners feel about the about the players speaking out. What might look like will they take a stance here? Will they try to come out against the players or will they just stay kind of quiet? Do you think, Jeff? I think the la- I think they're going to stay quiet. I, there's been some reports that a lot of them were very surprised by the Goodell statement. Um, to me, when I hear surprised, that sort of feels like not pleasantly yeah, surprised. That's a bad surprise. Uh, <laughs> I don't see what they could do on the other side. You know, I don't think anyone's going to come out against Goodell. I think that would be crazy considering how united the the players seem. And those are, you know, a lot of them are their players. So I think we'll see quiet. I think, you know, that there'll be some donations. I think, you you know, there have been some donations by some of these teams, but I don't think you're going to see any real action. But don't you think at the end of the day, I mean, the only thing that truly matters to these owners is making money. Uh, and, you know, we've seen a lot of brands, whether they're sincere or not, make statements in solidarity with the protests and, and with uh, racial justice uh, over the past few weeks. And so it's not, you know, viewed in that lens. I don't think that in some ways, I don't think the NFL is going to see as many consequences as they may have in the past. I think that, you know, there is this wave of, of sentiment moving in that direction. And I still just keep coming back to the absence of fans being there, you know, without the optics of, you know, angry fans booing or whatever they're afraid of. Does does pressure from Trump really matter as much uh, this year as it did uh, three years ago? Like, you know, if the NFL is like, we're okay with this and you can protest during the anthem and players protest and there's no one there to kind of vocalize uh, opposition to it aside from the president's Twitter feed, who cares? You know, it doesn't seem like there's really that much consequence and they'll get the TV revenue and they'll have ratings. People will watch football because I don't think people are going to stop watching because of this. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too naive, though. Yeah, but without doubt, he will say something, you know, right at the start of the season, telling his base to not watch the NFL if, if the players are going to kneel. He he will go as, as extreme on this issue as he has to. So uh, while they don't really have to do anything, it will be something they're noticing. And it will be something, especially the ones that have actively donated to him and his campaign, um it will be something that will be making them uneasy, but uh, whether that it actually affects football or, or how this all shakes out, it, it won't. Because how could it? It's worth remembering, too, that when games are supposed to start in September, that will be, you know, two months until a presidential election. So things will be... Um, things, things will be hot and heavy at that point <laughs> in politics. And, I mean, you know, that... Who knows how that will play out. I do, you know... I, we don't know yet if the NFL will will not have fans. They haven't come out with that yet. They haven't really said anything about that. It's hard to picture fans coming back to NFL games right now. Um, but we don't really know yet, which I think is interesting. I'm also curious if you guys think the the image of, of players kneeling, will that be maybe even more impactful with nothing else, no other, no fans in the stadium, just players kneeling during the national anthem. Does it matter if fans are there, I guess? Well, if anything, won't that help? I mean, uh, again, there won't be anyone to kind of boo against it. They'll have the the floor to themselves to make this statement, you know, and it is a very powerful image, especially, you know, if we're fully expecting, and I think it's reasonable, hundreds of players to do it and, and kind of surpass even the number that, that we saw early in that 2017 season. I think it'll be a really powerful image. 
Yeah, I agree. I think the TV images are huge. And I think you might see whole teams nailing. Because in, in some ways, I think it was always this kind of awkwardness of, of who's going to nail, who's not going to nail. And, and, you know, I'm not on an NFL team, obviously, so I don't know the impact Wait, that has. <laughs> I'm not. You didn't know that? No. Did well, not. you do look like Neil O'Donnell, though. Yeah. So at one point, you were on a team. Yeah. I used to be on a team. I used to play for the Steelers and the Jets. I don't know the effect that had on the locker room, but I think you might very likely just judging by you know using the saints as a microcosm and, and what went on after breeze made his statement between thomas and um and breeze and all that and reading between the lines i think you might see some some whole teams nail some more unity because I, I feel like that is the direction we're heading okay i think we can leave this discussion here although i'm sure we will be coming back to these issues again and again for now let's take a quick break to hear from this week's sponsor Allbirds. One thing that these last few weeks have made crystal clear is that we all need to look out for each other and come together to protect the people we care about. That's why Allbirds is on a mission to leave the planet in better shape than they found it. If you would like to get in better shape while also looking out for the environment, Allbirds has a brand new performance running shoe, the Tree Dasher. The Dasher is made from natural materials engineered to perform, so you'll be at your best mile after mile. My pair of Dashers look great. They're a gorgeous orange, and they're really comfortable, regardless of how active I am or am not at the moment. And I'm very excited to get more use out of them now that the weather has warmed up. With the new Allbirds Tree Dasher, feel confident knowing that you can run hard and tread lightly on the planet. Find your pair at allbirds.com today. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. At long last, the NBA has solidified its plan to restart the season. We will have basketball on July 31st, and we will have it at Disney World. (laughs) Thank goodness. Yeah. The league and the Players Union both approved a continuation of the regular season, all eight games of it, for 22 teams, nine from the Eastern Conference, 13 from the West. That will be followed by a possible play-in tournament to determine the eighth seeds in each conference, if necessary, and then playoffs as normal. (laughs) Just, Just regular old playoffs. Who knew? Some of the teams that did not make the cut are upset. When all is said and done, they may have had a hiatus of eight or nine months before taking the court again. But Stephen A. Smith didn't have a ton of sympathy for them on ESPN's first take. When I'm looking at uh, the Washington Wizards, right, 24 and 40, I'm looking at the Charlotte Hornets, no disrespect, MJ, 23 and 42. I'm looking at Chicago Bulls. 22 and 43, the New York Knicks. Your New York Knicks, Max. Obviously, I'm joking. I'm being facetious there. And 21 and 45, the Detroit Pistons, Atlanta Hawks, Cleveland Cavaliers. All even worse. I'm supposed to feel sorry for them. Were you not planning on going home? Are you going to sit here with a straight face and say that in mid-March, you had not already made your vacation arrangements beginning in April? Of course you did. It was probably down to Disney World for crying out loud. That's probably why you upset. You was going, you was planning on going to Disney World, but now you can't because of the real NBA team that's going to be in the postseason. Go be there. What do you guys think about the league going ahead with a little bit of a regular season, but limiting it to 22 teams? Should the whole league have been involved in some way to give all of those teams, at least some basketball? Or conversely, should they have just called the season and cut right to the playoffs and not bothered with the excess teams? I think from what I can tell, there was a there was a lot of apprehension about just diving right into the playoffs. Um, and that players, you know, while they're probably still in good shape and they're, you know, they're professional athletes, uh, need a little bit of a buffer before you get to that sort of next gear of 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 competition, which is obviously, you know, a lot different than the the regular season. So I do think that that a lot of this is, is sort of in some ways of kind of quasi spring training for the NBA um, to, to get back into form. And I think, you know, for the, particularly in the West, frankly, with the East, they could have just said, those are the eight teams in the playoffs Um, and Washington, you know, sorry about that. Um, and, and also, you know, there, a lot of people think that the Suns probably shouldn't be there because they're really, you know, considering who they have to leapfrog in such a short window, 
it's going to be virtually impossible for them to make the playoffs, but I think they, I guess they wanted a round number. Um, I think, yeah, with 22 versus 21, or, or actually I think 20 might've made more sense. Um, so a lot of it will be about, you know, just getting their sea legs before they actually go into the playoff games. And, and, and the interesting thing, and I'm sure we'll talk more about the, the lack of home court advantage, um, you could argue makes, you know, among these, you know, the eight teams that are sort of likely going to be in the playoffs um, in the East and, and uh, the, the six who are pretty surely going to be in the playoffs in the West. Um, without home court advantage, I think all of a sudden jockeying for position and who you play in the first round and what your playoff, um, you know, outlook looks like is going to be more important. So uh, you could also argue it's going to be less important. Um, so maybe maybe uh, they wanted to give these teams a little more time to, you know, sneak up to one more position, you know, whether that means avoiding the Bucks or something like that. You know, it, it could be it could be more more impactful than a than a, a season without a regular season where you had a home court advantage. Yeah, I, I like this. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with Stephen A that these teams that you know have this like mock outrage or whatever about oh my god we we never had the chance it's like come on you, you let's be realistic here uh we I never mean, had we the thought, chance to lose the last 17 games and get the the best lottery uh chances. I mean do you think maybe that's actually part of it is they want to uh th- they want the chance to tank more <laughs> for some of these teams we hadn't even um, really started tanking yet. yeah <laughs> if we had known we would have started tanking in November yeah um <laughs> but yeah and I I like the you know, it's a little bit weird. It's a little bit unconventional to have this like uneven number of teams between the conferences uh, finish the regular season. So like the the regular season stats are going to be really weird. There's going to be some teams that that have, a, you know, a handful more games than others. Uh, but, you know, to, I agree with you, Jeff, that you can't throw these players just straight into the playoff intensity, you know, immediately after months where we've talked about this players don't always even have access to like a basketball hoop, you know? So it's like, let's give them a little bit of a chance to play their way back into shape. Uh, And, and at the same time, you know, it'll be spring training for the teams, the contenders, and it'll be a chance to actually get into the league. I mean, get into the playoffs, especially for somebody like, I don't know, Zion Williamson mm-hmm. and, and the Pelicans, you know, I'm sure that didn't play any role whatsoever <laughs> no. in their decision to, to, of who to include in the, in the playoff field or, or in the final regular season field. Um, but yeah, give teams a fair chance at least to be able to say, Hey, you know, we could play our way into the playoffs and then go from there. I agree with all that. I, I really think this is actually a great plan for the NBA. It is a little weird, but that all the weirdness makes sense and all of the other options weren't really great. Um, so this is sort of like, well, it's weird, but let's, let's go with it. And we're going to get to see more basketball. We're going to get to see Zion for a little bit more. That's exciting. We're going to get to see John Morant for a little bit more. That's also really exciting. The teams that maybe could have kept playing and maybe tried to get into, you know, that wasn't really going to happen. We had a pretty good sense of the playoff teams, particularly in the East already, the West, obviously, there's more. There were more chances there, and that's reflected by the teams that were that are going to to Disney World. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I think this actually makes a lot of sense, and it is still sort of funny to me that the playoffs then are just going to be normal playoffs. I love that too, though. I mean, it's really like you don't even have to slap an asterisk on this season. Uh, you know, it'll have the legitimacy of a real season because we've talked about this before, you know, how many games were teams at when play ceased like 60 something. It looks like, yeah, Milwaukee played uh, 65 games. I mean like a 60 ish game season, 65 game season is like kind of all the NBA should have anyway. <laughs> right. You yeah. know, so it's really not like that different. I I think basketball is well suited to this type of solution too, compared with, you know, in baseball, they have a 50 game season. The Nationals went 19 and 31 in their first 50 yeah, games last yeah. year and and then won the World Series. So under a 50 game season, they would not have even sniffed the playoffs um, uh, and they ended up winning the championship. Yeah, I, it's also I think this will this year will be interesting, too, for the playoffs 
once we get to the NBA playoffs normally, I just want to like skip ahead to the conference finals. The first couple rounds just feel drawn out and like, well, yeah, well, we complain after complain. all this, no. this absence we will be like, Oh, I hate the first round of the NBA playoffs. There's no upsets. It's so boring. No. It's like, be grateful yeah. for basketball. We're going to be all in on it, I think. And there might actually be upsets because of the layoff. And, you know, we don't know what we're going to see. And, there, and there's no way there was no way to do this. That was fair to every team. And even in this very contrived, convoluted system they've ginned up here, some team is going to draw the short stick. For instance, if, you know, if it comes down to that sort of play-in tournament, I guess it's not a tournament, it's it's really a, a double elimination for the team in the existing playoff and a single elimination for the ninth seed. Um, but if there's ties in the West and it goes down to a tiebreaker, like let's say, you know, both... Portland and New Orleans are the four games out of of Memphis and only, you know, Portland gets into the play-in tournament, then obviously, you know, Memphis, uh, obviously New Orleans isn't going to be happy about that. Like, as it unfolds, it's, it's, someone's going to get screwed over here. But I think they mitigated the damage in terms of limiting the, the, uh, the amount of teams that will have serious gripes with how this unfolded. Yeah. And the important thing is they are all fringe playoff teams anyway. So it's really not like, you know, in a sport like the NBA, it's not like those teams have a history of storming through the playoffs and winning the championship. So you can only complain so much. (laughs) I I find that that that's not true. I think you can. There's an unlimited amount that people can complain. That is true. (laughs) Yeah. You should only complain so much. So, Jeff, which teams do you think are in a good position going into this weird end of season and who might get caught flat-footed? There's no way to really know. And I think any speculation over, well, this team has more players with a hoop in their house than this team. Like, that is... Oh, my gosh. Have you seen that analysis, Jeff? No. Can we do that analysis? (laughs) Maybe we should. Maybe we should go the other way. Forget I said this. Cut that from the podcast and write that part. Um, No, I think we don't really know. We don't know who's rusty and who's ready and who's at. I do think, you know, just based on what was happening when the season was shut down, I think there are certain teams, for instance, I don't think Milwaukee's in a great position. They had a lot of momentum. They had a, an amazing record at home, 28 and three at home. So that, uh, that home court advantage seems very real. And that is now gone as one seed. So I don't think this is favoring them. Um, and then you look at a team like Philadelphia, who obviously is one of the big underperformers of this year, all of a sudden, you know, they get new life. It's essentially anyone who had momentum, I think it hurts them. And anyone who, you know, was reeling and injured, obviously gets a gets an advantage here. But we don't really know how much regular season momentum even matters as it is in a normal season. You know, how you're playing in March probably tells you less about a team than how you played, you know, in like the first handful of games when the players are sort of figuring things out for the first time and they haven't settled into that like mid season malaise. Um, I haven't seen any research on this, but, uh, but it just feels like uh, that's true, which is the right thing to say on a five thirty eight podcast. No, no, but, but the point being that the Sixers were clearly underperforming. So there's no way that this is going to hurt them by taking a hiatus because they can't be playing in some ways, I guess they theoretically could, but they're not going to be playing worse than they were um, during those yeah. months of the regular season. Yeah, all they can do is just play at that level. That's the <laughs> that, that that's what they can hope for. Uh, but I think you're right that it it probably flattens out the odds, and the home court thing is probably a big part of that. Uh, didn't we look at uh, when we looked at home court or home field, whatever uh, advantage across sports in the playoffs that? NBA and NFL were basically like way ahead of all the other sports in terms of the impact of having a home playoff game. And so, yeah, that is gone. There's not that extra reward for the top teams. And that might actually be the sneakiest, you know, big factor uh, that will shape this, you know, the odds for these playoffs more than anything else, more than the rust. Because like you said, we can't really predict which teams like maybe you could look at like older teams like, oh, LeBron's going to be fresh, you know, <laughs> compared with with uh, the alternative if he had played all 82 games. But like, we don't know. That seems like, um, you know, 
kind of a, a sketchy hypothesis. Uh, but yeah, the home court thing, I think, could actually be pretty big. Well, and so that's one of the things that the league still needs to figure out. They're talking about about whether they'll try to give some sort of home court advantage by like, you know, giving players different numbers of fouls, like something to make it so that there is some kind of advantage, um, which is... They should start those teams with like a five-point lead at tip-off. There you go. You got it. Done. Solved. (laughs) Done. Well, Neil, what are the other issues that the league and the team still need to work out about this bubble system? Well, I think the the big elephant in the room is the virus, right? Uh, And and how that's going to work, not only in terms of what if players test positive? You know, it seems like that's not going to shut everything down, but, you know, they haven't had to kind of face that and answer that question yet. But also, I mean, it sounds so uh, callous or, you know, cold when we're talking about a deadly virus, but how does the roster work around that? Are you allowed to, you know, kind of expand uh, the roster, pick, call up people from the, from the G League? you know, to replace someone that tests positive because they have to be quarantined for, you know, two weeks after that positive test. Again, it sounds very ridiculous to be talking about that in in the light of, you know, how tragic this this pandemic has been. But those are like nuts and bolts, logistical issues that that they need to work out. And, you know, the bubble itself uh, I haven't seen anything about how strict of a bubble that's going to be. Are the players allowed to fly to Vegas on the weekend? You know, in between <laughs> if uh, not, games, Dennis Rodman Michael is Jordan. not coming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Dennis Rodman. Yeah, Jordan went to Atlanta. Right, right, right. Important <laughs> distinction. Um, but like, can you can you have that, or are the players and their families, you know, mostly going to be contained to the Disney approved, you know, uh, facilities during the playoffs. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe you guys have seen that there. I'll say there's worse places to be trapped in a bubble than Disney world, you know, just putting that out. Yeah. I want pictures of players, kids on splash mountain. That's what I want. Like right now. (laughs) Yeah. Do we know if the rides are going to be open for them? That's a big question. I, I think, yeah, maybe that works into the home court advantage too. You're- I heard someone <laughs> suggest that they should do it by the hotels. Um, meaning if you're a one seed, you're the Lakers or the Bucks, you get the four seasons, you get the Grand Floridian, <laughs> and then you move down a middle tier, you know, you get your wilderness lodge and your animal kingdom. I liked then, the wilderness lodge. I th- yeah, actually the wilderness lodge is quite strong. That's probably like a two seed, three seed hotel, I think. <laughs> um, we please then need just, the Disney But hotel. then, oh my God, so then does the... Does the eight seed have to stay at the place from the Florida project? Basically, yeah, they're they're in the um, they're not even on the Disney property. No monorail for them. No monorail. Yeah, you You should have won more regular season games. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This monorail, this monorail is only for top seeds. uh, Monorails for winners. Sorry. (laughs) All right. So at this, you know, we're still um more than a month and a half away from the games actually being played. We haven't seen anyone play in almost three months. We know nothing about what's going to happen. Who's going to win? <laughs> yeah, it's the perfect time to to make our binding yep. predictions about it. I do not believe we have updated our model yet to yet. reflect the... Um, yeah, the new uh, the new format, but we did have the Lakers and Clippers basically as co favorites uh, when things left off. And if you look at the title odds at Caesars, the Lakers are number one, then the Bucks, and then the Clippers, and then the Celtics and Rockets, and then you have to go a little bit further down to get the Raptors, Nuggets, and Sixers. That feels right to me. I mean, like, I think it's going to be the same order of teams. And so I, I will pick the Lakers. I, you know, think that they are the the best team on paper that LeBron. I've tried to make the uh, perhaps unconvincing argument that LeBron should be MVP over Giannis wow. this year. Wow. Um, but I do think it's also LeBron, maybe his his last best chance to win a championship. If you think about how he's not getting any younger um, and there's going to be more and more super teams. You know, Anthony Davis might leave the Lakers. Who knows? So, yeah, I think LeBron, you know, is going to seize the moment. Batting on LeBron. Love it. Who you got, Jeff? I, 
I actually also like the Lakers. I was going to take the Lakers, which is a you know obviously a very Neil pick, but um, I <laughs> yeah, it's, chalk, it's literally chalk a Neil pick way. because he picked. But them. I, I do sort of see LeBron uh, rising to this challenge with everything that's going on. I think he doesn't realize that this is his last best shot to win another title. You know, you go back to everything happened with you know Kobe and everything that's surrounded that team, and I also just on the sheer fact that. Their record's better on the on the road than at home this year, so I think they've they've proven that they don't need any home court advantage to be successful. Also, LeBron's been listening to you know weeks of this last dance talk, so you got you know he's going to come. We're talking about the least five thirty eight metrics right now imaginable. <laughs> I actually thought you were going to uh, say that LeBron's been listening to our podcast for weeks and was ready to to, to do us all proud. But 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 the sheer fact that not having that he can only benefit, um, and I think this is true with any player with a huge amount of uh, you know miles on the odometer, <laughs> and no one has more than him um, will benefit from less wear and tear and and, and fewer minutes. Um, I, I think Embiid is a player. You know, it's one of the reasons I like Philadelphia to get a boost because I think he he will benefit a player who who needs those days off. Um, so anytime you have a, a one of your key centerpieces um, fit that category. I think those teams will see a boost. I think that makes sense, but I'm, I'm going to do a very contrary um, pick. I, I like the bucks and here's why I, I understand what you were saying, like momentum and their home record record, but they actually didn't have that much momentum at the point that the season stopped. Giannis was hurt. Chris Middleton had been hurt. Like they were a little beat up. They were like, they weren't dominating as much as they had. I remember this very well because I was wanting to run a story about the Bucks, and they kept losing. They lost a couple games in a row. And I was like, can you win a game? So this story works. Thanks. That'd be great. Um, so I actually think that the layoff was not bad for them either. Just to get, I mean, a healthy Giannis is worth a lot to your team and Middleton was had been playing so well before he got hurt too um so I think the layoff actually helped them and that they'll pick up and I think that they'll people will sleep on them a little because of that idea of momentum not you know not carrying over so I'm going with the Bucks although I'm interested in the Clippers too I don't know you guys I just want to see them play again I'm so excited for basketball I think it'll be really fun to watch them play after all this time and I, I just, we're all going to have such an appreciation for sports when they come back. This is what America needs. Certainly what I need. And really, all right, let's leave this here for now. We can be embarrassed about our picks later on. We'll be back in a moment for with our rabbit hole of the week. At 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of these descents, the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. Take it away, Neil. Okay, guys, this might come as a surprise to you, but I'm going to talk about sports video games. <laughs> I know, I know this is off brand for me. <laughs> but anyway, I recently saw this story about Manchester United suing Sega for trademark infringement over the use of their name in this game, Football Manager. It's a long running and very good, by the way, I have it on my phone. <laughs> Soccer management simulator. Sarah knows mm-hmm. this. Uh, <laughs> come on, you Spurs. Uh, <laughs> nice. But it, it's kind of a silly story. But the TIFF comes down to football manager using a simplified kind of generic logo in the game for Man U instead of the official crest, ostensibly to avoid using uh, to avoid paying a licensing fee to United, who has retaliated with this lawsuit. Uh, football manager said that we've been using the name for decades going back to when football manager was called championship manager, but United, you know, they have a history of doing this. This has come up before other games because of that have opted to leave them out entirely or like rebrand them with a placeholder name. So for instance, Konami makes a, uh, a competitor to FIFA called pro evolution soccer. And it's been doing this for years, calling them these fake names like Aragon, <laughs> trad bricks and man red. <laughs> To avoid the issue. And so when I saw that and read up on that and kind of got immersed into it, it led me down a rabbit hole featuring the grand tradition of fake names for unlicensed people and things in sports video games. 
So the earliest examples might have been in the legendary Tecmo Super Bowl series, which had a license with both the NFL and NFL Players Association, which was a big deal at the time. I believe it came out in 1990 or 1991, but it did not have a deal with certain star players who were not members of the Players Association. So instead of Randall Cunningham, the game had QB Eagles uh, as the the Eagles quarterback. Jim Kelly was QB Bills. Bernie Kosar was QB Browns. They basically had all the attributes of the real players. In fact, Cunningham, or rather Eagles, was maybe the most overpowered non-Bo Jackson player in the game. I remember quite frequently just dominating with him. Uh, but he, it wasn't Randall Cunningham. It was QB Eagles. Uh, and early sports games were weird, man. This happened a lot in the 90s. For instance, Michael Jordan opted out of his NBA Players Association deal, you know, the common deal that the players have uh, to negotiate his own deals for his likeness, including other video games. So there was a video game on the Super Nintendo called Michael Jordan Chaos in the Windy City, which was a action platformer in which he attacks enemies with basketballs. (laughs) This was the real thing. Similarly, Charles Barkley opted out, and he was in a game called Barkley Shut Up and Jam, which was a kind of bad NBA Jam clone, uh, which found life later, by the way, as a t- being adapted by uh, people online into a Japanese-style ro- role-playing game called Barkley Shut Up and Jam Gaiden. That is a whole other rabbit hole we could and should go down, but it's, it's too much. It's beyond the scope of this uh, <laughs> rabbit hole. Anyway, because of this, Jordan and Barkley were not in NBA Live for a while, uh, the game series made by EA Sports, uh, and they had to be replaced with these generic roster players who had similar stats but different appearances and biographical data. Now, in the 2000s, this trend came became less prevalent. I remember it was actually a big deal that Jordan signed to be in NBA Live 2000. They put a sticker on the box of the game saying, Jordan is back. And then he was routinely in games after that uh, when he came back with the Wizards. But the NCAA basketball and football series were basically built entirely on this phenomenon, infamously so. We can never forget Ed O'Bannon's landmark case against the NCAA began when he saw someone playing the game in a college basketball video game with his likeness in it and was like, hey, what the hell is happening here? (laughs) And certain pro players and coaches were also absent during that era. So Bill Belichick, not a member of the NFL Coaches Association, so he's always depicted in Madden as a placeholder name too. He was NE coach for some of the time. Uh, there's, they've also given him other bizarre names, including Chad Masters, Josh Moore, Griffin Murphy, and Hal Ophammer. What? Ophammer. Uh, another notable person who was absent from games was former Red Sox first baseman Kevin Millar. So because he crossed the picket line during the 1994 strike, he was not an MLBPA member later on. So in the late great MVP baseball game series, he was known as Anthony Freese, who was black while Millar is white, but he retained Millar's skills and even his goatee and dyed blonde hair. But I got to say, maybe the greatest fake replacement player of all was John Dowd, also known as Barry Bonds. So Bonds was a fixture in baseball games throughout the 90s into the aughts, but he pulled his likeness rights after appearing in All-Star Baseball 2004. And that was basically the peak of Bonds' power. It was during a four-year stretch where he averaged 52 home runs and 189 walks per season while also hitting 349 with a 1368 on-base plus slugging. So clearly leaving him out of the game wasn't an option, and they needed an alternative, which is where you get John Dowd. John Dowd, in reality, was the name of an assistant producer who worked on the game for EA Sports, uh, and they kind of played it fast and loose with this. Each placeholder player just basically got assigned the name of a person who worked on the game. The producer was like, yeah, whatever, just put your own name on it, John. (laughs) But in the game... Dowd was ridiculous. He had these Bonds-like ratings. He had a 99 contact and a 99 power against right-handed pitchers. He looked nothing like Bonds. He was a, uh, he was white. Bonds was obviously black. Uh, but he basically was Bonds. And other MLB games of the era also tackled the problem. MLB The Show called Bonds Reggie Stocker. I guess they were going stocks, you know, compared oh to Bonds. Oh, my gosh. That's it's, hilarious. It's a little bit of a weak link. <laughs> uh, but Dowd probably will go down as the best fake video game athlete in history. Uh, all because Bonds was not a member of the Players Association and they had to come up with a uh, alternative. Today's games don't really have that as much anymore. 
but you can still find the impact that fake athletes have made on real fans who grew up playing these games. There's a great Instagram artist, we'll probably link it in the post, uh, named James Reynolds, who makes tribute jersey designs for all the fake players who have been in pro evolution soccer over the years. So we're talking Renard instead of Ronaldo, Beckham instead of <laughs> David Beckham. Uh, and also, fun fact, you can buy a custom number 51 San Francisco Giants John Dow jersey online. So maybe the silver lining of all this with Man United's lawsuit is that football manager can just have a new opportunity for a fake team and maybe even some fake players to take hold in fans' hearts. <laughs> I back him. That's amazing. So they don't even have to really get that far away from a player name or is there like, I guess not. Yeah. I wonder how, how, how close it can be before a player will sue. Uh, Maybe they're trying to find out that answer. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's an ongoing uh, process right now, but yeah, I mean the, the, the names of the players in pro evolution, are really funny. There's Naldorino instead of Ronaldinho. Uh, and, and the, the jerseys that this guy is making, he's unlicensed.fc on Instagram. Uh, basically just take the, the familiar color scheme of the player's national team jersey or his club team jersey, but with the, the fake name on the back, like in the correct font and everything. And, uh, yeah, I wish that, you know, I'm sure somewhere uh, someone could make you those jerseys and you could have a Naldorino <laughs> jersey. <laughs> we need to get Neil that if if he doesn't yeah. already own it. I will, say, I will say this may seem why, like why a, not an Anthony Freest <laughs> a silly issue, but I for one adamantly avoided any teams with fake players. I I just couldn't get into it. I couldn't get behind a John Dowd or a whatever that the Jordan uh, <laughs> player eighty roster eighty nine just took me out of it. You know, it ruined it. I, I'm not picking the Bulls. Unless I see Jordan's name. Yeah, it broke the realism for Jeff. (laughs) It just didn't do it. But I'm curious, how does the Belichick thing, when does that even come up that the coach's name is in the game? Well, in Madden, they do have coaches uh, that that you can hire and fire. That's one of the one of the features they haven't removed from Madden yet. Uh, (laughs) Give them some time. (laughs) But um, yeah, the Belichick, I think, is just about the only coach who's not in there. And it's always like some weird generic coach that looks nothing like Belichick. It's, is it it's wearing very a hoodie, strange. though? Is the coach wearing a... No, it's not even no, wearing a hoodie. It's wearing like a polo shirt and a baseball hat, and it doesn't look like someone that slept under an underpass. It's it's just not realistic at all. They say EA Sports, it's in the game, but Belichick is definitely not in the game. Wow. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. All right. I feel like that's a good place to to end that segment and therefore the show. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back in your feed next Tuesday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. And if you are subscribed, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your app of choice. It helps new people discover the show. You can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think. Our podcast producer is Sarah Shackett. Tony Chow is in the virtual control room. And our podcast commissioner is Chad Mellon. For Neil and Jeff, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.